Coming up, with Halloween coming to an end, it's time to recognize your cast and celebrate the transition over to Christmas. Staffing will continue to play a major role as international travel resumes. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30 from Scott Swenson and I. Green Tagged is the industry professional's guide to the biggest news in theme park from the past week. For Halloween-specific news, you can sign up for our free weekly industry newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. And now, here's Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Scott Swenson. Hey everybody! Yes, it's here. We are another week. Um, at least I think it's another week. Uh, my time has not slowed down at all. And uh, just you, kinda, you mean you didn't fall back? Uh, well, I fell back, but I fell back because I passed out because I was exhausted. Is what happened. Um, but uh, no, we're we're uh, we're saying goodbye to the Halloween season as we're recording this, and we're saying hello to the Christmas season. And um, we thought it would be um, it would behoove us all if we could take uh, just a brief moment. To talk about that transition and how uh, how and why it is important to various uh, companies and organizations out there, um, and where this all started, and one of the reasons that I am a little a little bleary eyed this morning is uh, last night I uh, participated in a local event that happens here in Tampa every year called the Screamers Ball. And hold on, I went, I got the T-shirt. Here we go, Screamers Ball. There it is. Can you see it? For those of you who are watching, you can actually see the Screamers Ball. Okay, there we go. Um, so anyway, this is uh, something that was started from uh, a third party um, outside of the the haunt industry. Well, outside of the specific haunt purveyors like uh, Bush Gardens and Universal, um, and it was a, an opportunity for those people who participated in um, Halloween events to actually have a Halloween party. Because let's face it, mm-hmm. the people who work Halloween events are usually haunt geeks anyway, and they get to the point where they don't get to have a big old party. So Screamers Ball started many, many years ago here in Tampa and uh, has now grown to something that is is rather large. Um, they take over either a, a bar or a club. It's even been held in theaters at some point in time. Um, but they have uh, live, live music, um, karaoke, lots of drinks, dancing, a fire show, a cost- costume contest, um, and it gives everybody who was working on Halloween night or throughout the Halloween season an opportunity to put on their funniest, scariest, sexiest, nakedest, yeah, that's a thing, um, <laughs> here, in, here in Tampa at least, um, costume and go out and see each other. And it's basically like a giant cast party. Um, mm-hmm. And it started originally from uh, members of the Hello Scream cast, but has now expanded and is open because it's not affiliated with any theme park um, specifically, has now expanded so that it's uh, it embraces anybody who works throughout the Halloween season who wants to come out and party. Um, and they, they bring me back every year to host the costume contest. And, um, and, and so I get to decide, let's see, the categories are actually most original, funniest, scariest, and sexiest. So, uh, and, then they, and then they crown a king and queen of the ball. And this is, I mean, this is a good-sized, good-sized event. Um, it spilled out of the bar into the parking lot, um, and then there was, a, you know, they always have a VIP tent area where um, the people who've been involved for a very long time hang out, so that they're not crushed shoulder to shoulder with, you know, every um, naughty nun and uh, you know, dirty doctor costume. So, um, which is fine, you know. They, 
they rarely win. But uh, uh, so anyway, um, when before the show, before we started taping here, uh, Philip and I were talking about it, and I discovered we discovered that it's they're not alone. There are other organizations mm-hmm. that do these post Halloween things. And Philip, you were mentioning a couple in different parts of the country. Yeah. So actually, last night I went to one at Rotten Apple. 907 it's a home haunt and they had a haunter's night which was a full show for so again it's the same premise it was on saturday night and it started at 6 30 and the first hour was uh full effects with actors and then the next hour is like a tour guided tour with the lights on and i mean just keep in mind this is a home haunt i mean it is a very famous and like illustrious home haunt they've been in many documentaries but um this is you know the premise is this is even a home haunt that's doing it. Now, Diane and Preston, they are big with the Cal Haunts Club that meets every month. So they're kind of pillars of the community. And uh, But there was a ton of people, same concept, a lot of haunters there from a lot of different shows are all coming out. And it gives everyone a chance to talk about the season and to see something that they couldn't get time to come out and see. And it was great. There's also the Scare Factor, which is a professional haunted house review website. And they do a, what's called their monster bash. They do that every year. And it's, um, let's see, it's an annual after season haunt party. And they, they quite specifically say that it is anyone that is involved, whether you're a volunteer or a parking lot flagger, all the way up to managers, makeup artists, owners, or haunt related vendors, everyone within the industry is welcome to attend. And theirs is not until November 20th. And theirs this year, so each year they choose a different host haunt and that host haunt kind of agrees to be open to, to give haunters a chance to see the whole experience with lights on and everything. And so this year it's in Indianapolis at uh, nightmare on Edgewood and it's the full show. So two hours of the full show with actors uh, and everything and um, tickets are $20 or 25 at the door. And it includes the full nightmare show costume contest there's a drag show um presented by hunters against hate and uh, there's live dj and there's their annual award ceremonies and then also hopping over to the uk our friends over at scare tour in the uk uh they do like a a post-season wrap-up mixer as well um and then they also do like an awards banquet not at the same time but they they do those things though so they do one as well where they kind of um this year, I think it was at Alton Towers, where it's the same kind of thing. It essentially is they find a haunt that's willing to do a private event, and then they invite all the other industry people over to it. Um, so it's not just a thing in this country. <laughs> so, so, it's a, yeah. And I guess the question is, so why is this so important? Obviously, it's being done all over the place, so it clearly holds some value. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think there's a couple reasons. You know, Number one, most uh, frontline haunt actors don't do it as a career. They try, yeah. but they don't yeah. always succeed. So you need to make certain that it still remains fun. It they we still get an opportunity to recognize the excellence of the individual who may not get a chance to contribute to the overall um, the overall element of the haunt, which is why I think you know the awards and the the costume contests and that sort of thing are super important. And then with some of them, it also gives them the opportunity to see the competition that's out there, to see what else is out there and become inspired by what else is happening in their area or sometimes even outside of their area. So um, it's just we just thought this was a unique trend because um, in many cases, especially in theme park, we have all literally just turned the page from Halloween 
to Christmas. Yeah, and, literally. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, my my first my first Christmas rehearsal was no lie, November first. So, yeah. um, so I, I I immediately went into Christmas. I, I was at Legoland uh, on Christmas Day, and shout out to Jeremy for hosting us. Uh, sorry, no, I was at Legoland on Halloween Day. Sorry, I'm already getting. Well, it really did turn the page for you. Yes, didn't no. It? So I, I was there on Halloween Day. Uh, shout out to Jeremy, and he had a Christmas walkthrough on Halloween Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's, so, it's already there in the industry, and we all know it. You know, um, we've even we've even tried um, with some of our clients, both for uh, for Bimaro Productions and for my company, Scott Swenson Creative Development. We try to design for people so that Christmas and Halloween use the exact same infrastructure, and we just change yeah. the content. Yeah. So you know that that happens. That's that's a reality, and we all know it if we do both events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it is important to put a little to put a little button on the end of the Halloween event so that the Halloween folks don't feel forgotten and get yes. lost in the rush. Um, yeah. Because you're right, we we all have to focus on. Oh my gosh, we've got to get the tree up. We've got to get the sleigh in. We've got to get the reindeer here, and um, you have to mark the ending of a thing. That is right. very important. And I think this is one thing to borrow to borrow Scott's one of Scott's phrases. You know, if haunts are theater you walk through, then you need to have a cast party. And right. that's a thing that every theater, you know, I've been in theater since I was in middle school, and that's something that you just expect. And it is some, it's so important. And it's not just important for Halloween. The reason we're bringing this up is because it's, it's equally important for any show you do, including Christmas. And it's time to plan for that because helps you with retention these things that you do these little these are part of those like little touches that help your staff that and it helps them to come together because as i'm sure scott will attest a lot of the christmas people are halloween people <laughs> that kind of roll over and change costumes and you want them to know each other you want them to have better connections you want them to feel better connected to you to feel like what they do is important that's a big piece of it what they do is important and you I know that we talk about it all throughout the season and, and everyone tries, but this is a good opportunity to do that. It's a good opportunity to, to show, um, you know, even for example, the Cal haunts, uh, they're, they're doing a little postseason uh, kind of mixer and they're inviting everyone to bring a, a five minute, no longer than five minutes. So they cap it, but like a little video reel of their display so they can talk about it. Those types of things are so important. And just what the Monster Bash is doing, what Tyler and Nora, where they're presenting awards to the cast and to the people in the area, that that recognition element, this is an opportunity for that. And even though you do it all season, this is an opportunity to really like knock it out of the park to do extra recognition and to bring everyone together. Yep, yep. And, and again, super important because the Christmas season is here and if the trend continues that we've been seeing, it is going to be busy with guests. And and what the, our, our next story is all about is it's not just going to be guests from the United States. If you're here in the states, um, it looks like it looks like international travel is going to start expanding. Um, Philip, can you explain that a little bit more in a little bit more detail? Yes, beginning tomorrow, where the U.S. is lifting the 18-month ban on international travel as long as tourists show proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test. The land borders with Canada and Mexico will also reopen for national visitors who are fully vaccinated and American citizens residing in those countries, as well as U.S. tourists returning home. So currently, passenger traffic in the United States is close to reaching 2019 levels, with millions of domestic travelers passing through the TSA checkpoints each day. And that is before we open the borders. So it's like close to 2019 before we open borders. And the next data point here, which is super interesting, is um, visit 
Orlando hosted a Orlando Welcomes the Brits Back event, which is a little cheesy. Um, they well, this- but, but let me explain. So uh, especially within the last five years, I would say three to five years, um, visitors to, to Central Florida um, from the UK has been um, – remarkably important to the overall success uh, of the, yeah. the tourism industry here. Um, they have they have filled in the gap that some of the, the decline in Brazilian tourists um, did in Central Florida. So yeah, it may it may seem cheesy, it may seem silly, it may seem inconsequential, but it ain't. These are big numbers and the, yes. uh, big numbers of people who spend. Yeah, so the numbers that they cited at the Orlando Welcomes the Brits Back event they're saying that in 2022, so next year, they're projecting to draw up to 765,000 travelers from the United Kingdom. Now, however, that comes with the caveat that even though it's 765,000 is a big number, it's still down because Central Florida typically welcomes a million uh, UK travelers annually. And that was the 2019 level. So to Scott's point, a million travelers coming just from the UK is, is that's quite a chunk. Yeah, it's substantial. And, and it's also... Um, because of because of the uh, the exchange rate, they spend mm. they spend money. Yes. So um, yes, it makes total sense that Visit Orlando would be welcome back our Brits because you know what they're what they're really not doing is they're not, they're not really welcoming back Brits. What they're doing is making Brits know that they're welcome when they choose to come. Um, yeah. Because it's like I said, it's that important. You know, just just from the UK alone. However. That's what's happening here in the U.S. Um, in Asia, things are a little different. Um, dicey. Yeah, a little dicey. Yeah, COVID restrictions continue to hamper parks in Asia. However, the, st- the signs are still trending up, but not nearly to the numbers that they are um, here in the United States. No, so, that's correct. Mm-hmm. You know, you you did uh, you did some information on the on the you have some information on the Tokyo Disney loss mm-hmm. going on right now. Yeah, so it, it is that that time again where we get to hear all the earnings reports from everybody. And uh, Tokyo Disney, or more specifically, Oriental Trading Company, which is the group that that runs Tokyo Disney, um, both Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea, they showed a loss uh, for the first half of the 2021 fiscal year. Um, they brought in $860 million. That is U.S. dollars. We argued the conversion. <laughs> That's up 65% from the same period last year. So it's trending up, which is a big trend, up 65% from the same time. Well, 65% However, of nothing. I mean, you know, it was last year. Well, there wasn't a whole lot going on. But still, the, and, and still, the, the net loss was just over 125 million US dollars. So, and of course, that is due to the parks having shortened their opening hours and still, still capping attendance numbers. Um, and also, meanwhile, I'm sure a lot of people heard about that little uh, incident at Shanghai uh, Disney last week. So basically what happened was there, there was a report that someone at the park had been exposed to COVID. And since they have like a zero COVID policy there in China, they shut down the entire theme park with the guests inside. <laughs> so they shut down and they proceeded to test uh, nearly 34,000 visitors uh, like systematically to do a double test to make sure that the negatives were accurate before letting everybody leave. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just imagine if this happened in the United States? It's crazy that you know they they would be as people were leaving there there would just be lawyers lined up to to file suit um, here in the U.S. So, I just feel like they would be stampeding. Like I don't I don't think they would even you know 
But uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, and so what's interesting? What's but again, I think what's interesting though is you know yes, the, the, these are these I, in, the way I'm looking at this. These are two extremes. These are the two mm-hmm. ends of the of the spectrum here. Um, I'm not 100% certain that either one of them are um, perfect, but I just think it's important to recognize that, you know, anybody who says, well, we just need to do it one way or the other, uh, it's not that simple. Um, there's a lot more shades of gray here between the, uh, the black and the white of, of either the U.S. and Asia or yeah. Asia and the U.S. So I, but, I just think it's an important thing to recognize. And in, in either situation, though, it's important to also underline that like this trend is still going up, which is good news for us. And uh, so going back, coming back to the UK, um, or the UK, coming back to the US, <laughs> uh, let's let's look at the uh, Cedar Fair earnings report, which they released. Uh, so they released their earnings report for this next quarter, and they reported record high revenue for the third quarter of 2021, which is up 5% from the same period in 2019. So which that, that is actually a pretty big deal. It's up 5% from 2019 because 2019 was a historically high level. Right. Um, and then in the five weeks leading up to Halloween, attendance jumped by 8% over the 2019 level. And their average guest spend was $64 and some change in the third quarter, which is also a new record. Um, and on the head of that, of course, we know that, uh, see, that they made headlines for raising their hiring rates up to $20 an hour for certain positions. Um, and so they did mention that the operating costs and expenses for the third quarter increased 14% over 2019 to $424 million. And of that increase, 46 of, so $46 million of the $424 million uh, was due to higher seasonal labor costs. Um, but again, the through line to this is did they have to pay labor more? Yes. Did it increase cost 14%? Yes. Also, were they still profitable? Yes. <laughs> and and right. that, like that is the key. <laughs> right. You know, well, that is- but, but keep in mind, keep in mind, you know, they, they say that they, they raised, um, they raised their operating expense. If I understand this correctly, they raised their operating expense by 424 million. Okay. But of that 46 million was, uh, due to higher labor costs. Yes. Okay. So, 10, a little over 10% of the overall increase was due to labor. That doesn't seem horrendous to me. No, it and isn't. And the fact yeah. that they, they, as Philip just said, they still made money. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, your costs, yes, costs are going to go, are going up everywhere. We're still having, um, you know, shipping issues. We're still having supply chain issues. Um, and that's not going to go away immediately either. Uh, but those people who make that who make that argument, well, because of all the other issues, we can't raise um, we can't raise labor rates and make money. You're wrong. And um, what's happening right here is they're proving it because yeah. they, all this yeah. stuff went up, and they still had significant increases um, yeah. to the last measurable year. So, and I think that the next key will be as we've been talking about this entire episode. The next key is going to be, you know, will those attendance records continue to climb, or how how is the Christmas season, the holiday season, going to impact that? Because if they're already showing eight percent over for Halloween, so that's eight percent more people this year for Halloween, then what is Christmas going to look like? And and I, I'm I think um, right now I'm sitting at it's probably going to be equal or more. You know, previously we were a little bit worried about it because of all the reports back and forth. But now the international gates are open, 
um, and we see these other trend lines, I'm pretty optimistic. Well, and with, you know, I think there's also going to be a change in consumer behavior because if if the, the supply chain lines are as challenging as we are being led to believe they are, which means that physical gifting is going to be significantly more difficult, yes, then families may actually opt to do an experiential gifting uh, holiday season. So instead of saying, hey, look, we're going to get you, um, uh, hey, kids, we're going to get you all new bikes. They're going to say, hey, kids, let's go to XYZ theme park and have a great time and do everything we want to do there. Um so it's, I agree it, with that. Yeah, it, it's going to change. Totally. It's going to change the the model from um, goods to services, and being a theme park or a, a an FEC or you know, really a zoo, any of them, a museum, they're all going to see. I think those those bumps, assuming that um, the folks out there aren't able to get the hard goods that they want, as far as yeah. gifts go. I would yeah. also, I mean, right now, if I were, if I were in charge of a theme park, I would be pushing, um, gift cards, uh, season pass memberships like crazy as a gift item. And I would attach it to something that, you know, you know, you can get, um, maybe it's an, an ornament with a, that's has the, the pass tied to it, or maybe it's a, I don't know, something that they can wrap up and give because the favorite toys are not going to be there. Um, supposedly we'll see how that continues to go, but, uh, it's just something that you should definitely be aware of because this could, like I said, this could be a service versus a, um, goods Christmas. Yes. Well, and of course, in order to maintain service, we're going to continue to need seasonal casting, which is kind of the theme of this entire show. And so the jobs report also just came out. We got the October jobs report. And so, um, New data released on Friday showed that the American economy added 531,000 jobs in October, a rebound from the previous month. But the measure of how many people are working or actively looking for work is still two percentage points lower than it was before the pandemic. And of course, the factors that uh, they cited here in this article uh, would be, uh, let's see, childcare struggles, early retirements, and general rethinking of life spurred by the pandemic, which you know, we've, we've all talked about agnosium. Um, I just wanted to note though on here, just like a note, we're still 7 million jobs short from like, so it's, it's kind of like still like 7 million people just kind of like still are like unaccounted for, uh, in, in this, like from where it was previously. So it, it's not, um, it's not a small thing. <laughs> it is, it is still, it's still a big thing. Um, but I, I guess uh, again, trending in the positive direction, question mark, you know, um, and of course, one way to counter the childcare struggles and the early retirements and blah, blah, blahs is of course to, as we've been talking about on the show, you know, come up with flexible schedules, you know, rethink the scheduling that you have. So to make it more flexible and allow recognition and allow for flexibility in appointments, maybe try and get in some of those retirees. If they retired from a different job, you come in and, and, you know, work and do some stuff here at the park. These are all, uh, options we've been talking about. And of course, one option that IAPA is pursuing, we got a public affairs update from IAPA and IAPA met with the chair of the Department of Commerce's Travel and Tourism Advisory Board Employment Subcommittee. Uh, and they met to present before the committee on Thursday regarding the season, uh, regarding the reasons the attractions industry is experiencing labor shortages and what the federal government can do to help. And, um, they they had a presentation, but I think one of the keys that they prioritized was prioritizing visa programs such as the J-1 visa. So 
they're so, and I think they, they mentioned this before, but they're still pushing the visa program so that we can get, you know, international workers now that the gates are open. I think it's interesting because the challenges that we're having with staffing, um, it's n- none of the things that have been cited specifically are because there, there are not enough people out there who are skilled to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They are, it is all life choice or location that are, so for example, the visa, obviously being a, a location situation. Yeah. Um, and all the all the things in the previous story from the jobs report, um, child care, early retirement, general rethinking of life spurred on by the pand- pandemic. This isn't, we don't have people who can do the jobs. This is, we have people who can do the jobs, but aren't applying for them because they're putting their life choices ahead of their work choices, which is unusual uh, here in the United States. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a trend that is something we all need to, to take into consideration. And, you know, there's there's always been a corporate side for every theme park that says, make good work-life balance choices. But now it's not even a balance. It's a work-life period. It's make yeah. sure your work life or your life work um, is, is integrated. And, you know, Philip mentioned all the ways to do that, but or some of the ways to do that. And, and I just think... It's important that if you think you're going to go back to the way things have always been without being a bit more flexible in certain areas, you're going to continue, uh, based on these on these studies, you're going to continue to have staffing problems. So yeah. rethink, rethink the humanity of the staff. Um, yes, pay is a factor, but it is not the only factor. And in fact, it wasn't even mentioned in the jobs report. Correct. So Correct. Yes. It was, it was, it's important to recognize that it's not just, well, I have to, I can't double my salaries. No, you can't, nor should you. But yeah. if you can take, you know, 5% and put into childcare or um, yeah. start recruiting. Flexible from, schedules. Yeah, flexible schedules. An after party. <laughs> yeah, an after party. So it's it's all about, it's all about those things. And, you know, yeah. with those kinds of, of, of new and innovative um, concepts and ideas, it's, it's great when people try those kinds of things or companies try those kinds of things and they get recognized. And this is one of the things that IAPA has been doing for years. Um, our next story is about some of those recognitions and some of the cool things, some of the new things, and some of the things that, in my opinion, are finally getting recognized. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the, the announcement of the 2021 IAPA Brass Ring Awards winners. Now, this is unique. At least I don't believe they've done this before. Philip, correct me if I'm wrong. But they've announced them already prior to Expo and and done a lovely um, video presentation um, online. And uh, it's it's interesting to see uh, it's interesting to see how this worked out. Now, in the sense of for the sake of, of full transparency, I am a brass ring entertainment judge and I have mm-hmm. um, adjudicated several categories in years past as well as this year. Um, but the way it works is I have no idea what the other judges vote on. Um, I share my opinions. And so I have no insider information other than the fact that I was a, a part of the process. It's the only reason I'm saying it. Um, so Because I, I don't want people to say, well, he's sharing insider info. I don't have insider info. I'm I'm just a person who fills out a survey and watches watches videos. So, um, but I do think I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting um, that uh, some of the the things the ones I always look at are like the Human Resources Excellence Awards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting that um, if you if you have a chance to watch the videos that are included in these announcements, you'll see some really great ideas um, both for 
uh, employee engagement in initiatives and employee recognition and rewards programs, um, they're, they're getting it. They're totally getting it. And they're finding new ways, not just, not just a cast party. They're finding new ways to keep the, yeah. uh, the employees engaged year round, um, and, and to recognize it and, and reward it. So, um, I strongly recommend that you check these out. I know quite often people will say, well, I don't have the time to really look into that. And even if you're not in HR, I don't care. Um, these may spark new ideas that you can employ, uh, or that you can implement with your employees without involving HR, without making it a giant program. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I think it's, I think it's important to check those out. Um, I also think it's interesting that a lot of the the trends that we're seeing here, one of the one of the new names that or newer names that we're seeing um, throughout the awards, especially in the entertainment section, obviously, is um, well, both entertainment and and merchandise is Meow Wolf. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, who? Let's see what what which of your favorite podcasts has been talking about edutainment for months now. Um, and here it is getting rewarded and recognized. So um, way to go, Meow Wolf. Uh, they're not the only ones doing it, but they're certainly the ones that have popped up here um, with some really, you know, and, in, and in multiple categories. So kudos to them. I think that's really cool. As you looked over this, Philip, were there any trends that stuck out for you that you think are unique or, or unusual? I, I do think that the Omega Mart, you know, winning multiple categories, um, you know, especially with the one best apparel here. And that's, um, I, I think that, that that's just important. It's also interesting, you know, because they're a relatively new facility and, and kind of new to the space. Um, so I'm happy for that. But I also think it, just like we've been talking about Agnosium, it kind of signals that like, it's not as simple anymore. It shouldn't be as simple as as just putting your logo <laughs> on a shirt. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this this whole idea of merchandising as a vertical, I think, is is kind of taking off a little bit more. Um, and then, of course, I always look at who wins the Christmas show. And most creative Christmas show went to the Crystal Promise, and uh, at USJ, and most creative Halloween show uh, went to the Oogie Boogie Bash, which I don't really agree with, but that's. That's just well, me. I just, you know, it's, I, I just feel like the category is so like, as we talked about last show the entire time, you know, it's so different because there are 21 and over sophisticated events and there are the tween events and there are the family events. And like, I don't kind of don't agree with the premise of mushing everything together in a category and then, and then kind of vaguely saying creative. Cause to be honest, I don't think it's like, I don't think that within the context, it is that creative. Well, because as an, as an adjudicator and looking at the, the, the way we have been instructed to look at these shows, um, the last part of, and because it's going to, it's going to pretty much impact your, your ratings anyway, is to take out your own personal, um, your own personal views. You know, um, if you want a blood soaked sex bath as a show for Halloween, or if you want something that is a recognizable character done really well, what, you, what we have to do is we have to do our best to try to separate ourselves from our own personal choices and look at the production and do they accomplish what they intended to do. And um, it is challenging because we all, like I said, we all have our own personal opinions, but that's why there's also multiple judges. So mm -hmm. um, is it ideal? Do we always agree? Absolutely not. In fact, rarely do we ever agree. Um, and there have been many times that I have seen things win where I go, really? Well, they must have seen something in that that I completely didn't see. Um, but I think that the, I do agree that the, uh, 
the process is as fair and as blind as possible. And that's coming from like my, my tiny little peak by being just under the covers as to how that works. So, um, so that's our show for this week. And uh, I, I think, you know, without sounding too much like a broken record, do what you can to get your staff ready for a, a very busy upcoming season and whatever you can do to make them feel good and make them feel like they belong in your, uh, in your company. And as part of the guest experience, you should make efforts to do it. It will benefit you in the long run. Until next week for Green Tag Theme Park in 30, uh, on behalf of my co-host, Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and Haunted Attraction Network, my name is Scott Swenson with Scott Swenson Creative Development, and we'll see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network. <laughs>